No, there's nothing like putting on a new piece of clothing, is there? When I was in college, my freshman year, um, and I would go do laundry, uh, I had this green duffel bag that I put all of my dirty laundry in. And then I would take it to the laundromat. I would do all of my laundry. I'd take it out of the dryer and stuff it all back in the green duffel bag. And then as I needed something that during the week, I'd just pull the shirt out and normally run it late, throw it on, and take off to class. Why well, I looked like a hot mess, wrinkled and disheveled and just, I was, it was a mess. And finally, I came across a book that talked about dress for success. And this may seem odd to some of you, but when I started to change the way I dressed and the way I felt about myself, my confidence changed, my attitude changed. Believe it or not, my grades increased. And I knew that when I was going to have to take a big test or do a major presentation, I was going to dress in a way that I felt confident in. And here's a, here's a truth. Many of us today, in our spiritual walk, no longer feel confident and no longer feel strengthened and no longer feel capable because we are continuing to put the old clothes back on. And I want to help us today with the help of the Apostle Paul and the Spirit of God to put on some new clothes. Sound good to anybody? Let's dive in. Let me read these passages to you. We're going to take them in chunks so you can begin in verse 5. The word therefore, I've been with you long enough by now. Anytime you see the word therefore, you ask yourself the question, what's it there for? Which means it takes you back. So everything we talked about last week in verses 1 through 4 of the identity of Christ, because of our identity in Christ, therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient, and you once walked in these things, but you were living... You, you, I'll say that again, verse 7. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. Circle verse 8, the transition words, but now, but now put away all of the following, anger and wrath and malice and slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Now you are being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your Creator. In Christ there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's stop right there for just a few moments. What we look at today, this, this instructive nature of this passage about putting off and putting on, this entire instruction that he's going to give us is foundational. It's not just instructive, it's foundational. And it's foundational because of our identity in Christ. Do you remember what we've studied thus far in this book of Colossians? That we have died and now raised in the death of Christ and in the resurrection of Christ. He's given you and I new life. But I don't know about, about you. I can only testify to myself. But this idea of putting off a sin nature and putting on 
a spiritual nature of living in the sanctification that God has given me is very daily for this preacher. Some days I am three steps forward and two steps back. Do you get that? Some days my spiritual walk is nowhere near as strong as I want it to be and as he has commanded it to be. There are days and there are moments and there are hours that I really feel like I need to just kind of abandon this thing. And the idea of ever standing before you as if to point you in the way that you should be walking, uh, at times I will feel like a, hypo- a, a hypocrite. But here's the truth of the matter. We're in this thing together. Anybody in the room ever struggle with their spiritual walk? You're the kinds I want to hang out with because I do too. Anyone in the room ever feel like Satan is just eating your lunch? Then we will sharpen iron here together today. This is where the body of Christ comes together. But here's what I love about this passage of Scripture. While it's instructive to put off and to put on, it's never left to our own ability. Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So when he says to put off and to put on, he's not leaving all the responsibility upon our shoulders. Thank goodness. I remind the Lord often, I'm a C student. I struggle in these areas. There are strongholds and habits in my life. And Satan knows how to press those at the most inopportune times. And yet I come to Colossians 3 and he says, now I want you to put this stuff off and I want you to put this stuff on. And I'm going, Lord, how how do I do that? And he goes, oh, I got that. Because of your identity, of who you are in me, then you can put off that which is evil and you can put on that which is righteous. Now, is it easier said than done? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the putting off and the putting on is only done through the redemptive power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why the death, the burial, and the resurrection is so important to you and I today. One of the things I've loved about being at fellowship is our prayer time on Sunday mornings. And I didn't get to go to it today. We were in another meeting and we had significant prayer time in that meeting as well. And let me just pause and do this commercial. Do yourself a favor, set your clock, get here an hour early, meet us downstairs at 9 a.m. and join with us in prayer. And some of you go, well, I, I don't do public prayer. I don't pray out loud. No worries. Come and participate. Because one of the things that has strengthened me and encouraged me more than probably anything else of being at this church is listening to the prayers of my brothers and sisters in this church. This morning we were in a meeting and Brother Dave, Coach Dave, I think we call you Coach Dave. I call you Coach Dave. He was praying and it captured my attention. And his prayer was this, Father, would you give us a vision of the future and a narrow focus of the day? and wrote that down. I'm going to say Dave said that 
in a couple of weeks I'll say it and I'll go, you know, I heard someone say, give me a year and I'm go, I've always thought. I want you to hear it again. Father, would you give us a vision of the future and a narrow focus of the day? And I thought how timely that is for this idea of putting off and putting on. Father, would you give us a vision of the future of what is already accomplished in heaven? Do you know what's already accomplished in heaven? We are pure and we are holy, and we are righteous, and we are redeemed, and we are secured, and Satan can't touch us, and we can't be defiled, and the Father has already said, you're perfect. That is the vision of the future. Does that sound good to anybody else? But Lord, would you give me a narrow focus of the day that today I need to put on the practice of surrendering to you. Today I need to put on the practice of being loved by you and living for you. Lord, give us a focus of the future and a narrow focus of the day. I'll give you four things. Four things, right? That's what I'm saying. Four things that will help you this morning. First one, we're going to learn how to put off sinful habits. Now, I don't have time to unpack everything in these verses, so we're going to do a bit of a flyover. Okay, And what you're seeing in these, in these verses, particularly as we look at verses 5 through 9, we're talking about the doctrine of sanctification. The doctrine of sanctification. It's the fact that our sins are forsaken and that holiness is pursued. The doctrine of sanctification has an already and a not yet principle to it. Are we sanctified today as Christ followers? Yes, in future glory, our standing before God as is if as we have already been made perfect and whole. But here on this earth, we are working out, as Jesus would say, our own salvation. So there is a future tense of who God already sees us to be and has declared us to be, but this is what I love about this, but it's difficult. There is a present tense of living out the testimony of who God is on this earth. You and I are the image bearers of the perfect one. You and I are the testimony of the famous one. The problem is, for many of us, we're not great testimonies, and we're not great image bearers. And that's why Paul comes to us and goes, I want you to put off some of these things so that you can put on something else. Now look what he goes to in verse 5. Therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. And you and I are well familiar with just this, this sin nature that you and I have that trips us up so easily, that traps us, seems so daily. He lists five things here. Put away sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desire. And you can really take those four and lump them together to put away any type of sexual sin that is impacting your life. Thought, word, deed, 
visual, whatever it is, put this away. If it is outside of the bonds of marriage and the confines of Scripture, put it away. And you go, but, but that's just my nature. And Paul goes, I get that. He says, that's why you're going to put to death what belongs to the earthly nature. That was your nature. Who are we today if we're saved? We are new in Christ, putting off the things that are past, right? And putting on that which is new. Here's my problem. My concern is that many of us don't want to do the hard work and live the disciplined life of putting these things to the side. We're willing to allow our lives to be trapped in thought and in action in ways that obviously dishonor the Lord to which He speaks against. And I think any of us in this room today, if you're going to be painfully honest, you're going to say, I know that sexual immorality, that impurity, that lust and evil desire in my life doesn't honor the Lord. If it's outside the bonds of marriage and the confines of Scripture, if I practice it, it doesn't honor the Lord. Do I get a witness in that today? We know these things, and yet we do them anyway. Again, I don't have time to unpack all that Scripture has to say about these. But then as I was reading the passage, something caught me. Look at it again, verse 5. Put away those things of your earthly nature... Those four that fall into the category of sexual sins. And then he goes, and greed, which is idolatry. And I read that and I thought, thank goodness, Paul has the same issue that I have. Squirrel. Anybody ever been tracking one way and all of a sudden you take off in another world? And I'm going, Paul, you must have been writing this. I'm going to put away this and this and this and this. And oh, by the way, greed as well, which is idolatry. But that's not the case. Greed isn't an afterthought. Greed isn't this, this add-on to what he's trying to say here. Greed goes to the motivation and the root of the behavior of the previous four actions. Put away all sexual sin. Why? Because it points to greed. Well, how does that point to greed? A great working definition of greed is simply this. It's believing that who God is and what God has provided is insufficient for your life. Are any of you greedy in the room today? Oh, so often, more than I ever want to be, I catch myself in a greedy situation where I believe if I don't take care of it myself, if I don't satisfy this, if I don't manage this, if I don't fulfill this in my life, then I will always be unsatisfied. I'll always be a little less. I won't have what I think I need. And that goes to the heart of greed. And he says, when we practice greed in our life, we practice idolatry because we have put 
anything other than God in first place. Put away sexual sins. Why? Because it's an act of greed. It's an act of saying that God is insufficient to meet the needs of my life. God is insufficient to be and do all that He has said He will be. Therefore, I will have to satisfy my own desires. Boy, it gets thick in this passage of Scripture, doesn't it? Can we get out of the deep weeds? No, no, you really can't because he goes into verse 6. He says, because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And oftentimes I've read verse 6 and went, that's it, I'm done. I'm going to be toast. I've struggled with these things in my life. These are areas of weaknesses. And now verse 6 says, because you've done these things, you're going to experience God's wrath. But you've got to keep reading. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. Oh. It doesn't mean because I have practiced or because I have experienced it. It means that when I continue to practice these things, I may experience God's wrath. But what I love about verses 6 and 7, because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient and you once walked in them. You know what that once walked? Circle that. Once walked. That means there's hope. Do I get a witness today? There's hope. We don't always have to be trapped. We don't always have to be doomed. We don't always have to be controlled. He says we can put off in His power, and we can put on in His power that which is living in the old nature where we used to live. So if it's possible to be where we used to live, that tells me it's possible to live somewhere else. It's possible to live somewhere else. This just came to mind. Anybody in this room familiar with the the old gospel singer Doug Oldham. Anybody know who Doug Oldham is? Some of you may know. He was a, he was a quite famous gospel singer and he was a minister of music at a church in Indiana and was just, just a rascal. His wife, Laura Lee, and his three daughters and Paula and Dee Dee and Karen. And Doug was practicing worship, leading worship and singing really around the world. And yet he was involved in several different affairs. He and Bill Gaither had become dear friends. And there's a famous song that Bill and Gloria wrote that says, thanks to Calvary, I don't live here anymore. There's a the song was written on Doug's life story. Doug had been at church and the Lord saved him in a beautiful way that Sunday night. And the story goes that as Doug went home, his little girl, Paula, ran and hid behind the door because Doug was not only an immoral man, but he was an abusive man. And the lyric of the song, which is the testimony of Doug's life, says, I went back to the house where I used to live. And my little girl ran and hid behind the door. 
And I said, you don't have to be afraid. You got a new daddy now. Because I don't live here anymore. Whew. Folks, verses 6 and 7 tells you, you don't have to live here anymore. You can put off those things. He goes on to verse 8. He says, I also want you to do some other things. I want you to put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices. Interesting list, isn't it? Anytime I find a list of vices, which is what we're talking about here, this, these vices... In the New Testament, it's often followed by God's judgment. But these, these lists don't tell us we're beyond redemption. As a matter of fact, it tells us that we're within the realm, that we now have the potential of living within the grace and the redemption of Jesus Christ. I look at the list, this second list he gives, of, of anger and wrath. Interesting, I was telling Brother Lance about this this morning. I don't know that I ever really understood this today, until this week rather, but anger and wrath describe God's righteous disposition towards sin, right? You've seen that in Scripture, right? About God's anger towards sin, God's wrath. We, as a matter of fact, we just read about it in, in verse 5. So why does he say in this verse to put away anger and wrath. Well, it's not just so you're nicer. It's not just so you're more well-behaved and can go out in public. He says to put away anger and wrath because when you and I practice anger in our living and wrath in our responses, we are usurping God's divine authority upon those around us. We are acting as if we have the authority to administer anger, and to administer wrath. And these are divine characteristics that belong to the Father and the Father alone. So the next time you want to seethe in anger, and you want to hope and pray wrath falls upon those around you, I'm going to encourage you to do what Paul says and put that stuff away. And the reason why is because when we practice it, we're really saying, God... I can do that better than you can. Matter of fact, I don't trust your timing or the way you'll do it. I want them to experience my anger and my wrath. Isn't that scary? He says, put away malice and slander and filthy language. This is our malicious attitudes and our actions and our words towards other people. Why would you put away malice and slander and filthy language? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Genesis 1.27, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, said, Let us make man in our own image. Do you believe that verse? Well, who's the us? The us is the Trinity. Who's man? That's mankind. That's you and I. So when you and I catch this, 
when you and I speak malice and slander and lies about other people, we are literally speaking against, we're ultimately blaspheming the image bearers of God. And you go, well, they're not acting much like Jesus. And my dad used to tell me, anytime you point a finger at somebody, you got three coming right back at you. Well, I just, I'm saying this because of the way they're acting. And the Lord's going, take a look at your heart. And when we speak these type of words, we wind up defaming that which God said is good. You remember Jesus' teaching out of Matthew chapter 12? He says that out of the heart, man speaks. Hey church, can, can we just pause here for just a second? And I know time's getting away from me. This may become a two-part message, I don't know. Can we just pause here for a minute? And can we do a Psalm 51 moment that David prayed before the Lord and went, Lord, would you search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way within me? What am I holding on to? And what am I practicing that, Father, you have said to put away? Is it sexual immorality? Is it a life of idolatry and greed? Have you just become have you just become a salty old soul? Never happy, never content, no joy. Are you mad at the world? And someone cuts you off in traffic and you're going to give them the business? And someone not respond to you like they should online and you're going to let them have it. And that's your first response. What happens, church, if we just pause and go, Lord, lay your finger on that which is in my life that dishonors you. My, my new identity in Christ is certain. It's secured. It's founded in heaven already in the death and the resurrection of Christ. But this practical transformation on this world, it's a work in progress, isn't it? Let me give you something else. Learn how to practice living in grace. Learn how to practice this. Verse 10 says, put on the new self. You are being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your Creator. In Christ, there's not Greek and Jew and circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian. There's slave or slave and free, but Christ is in all and all. What do I mean by this? Spiritual formation in this life 
is transitional. Spiritual formation in heaven is positional. I'm already sanctified in heaven. In this life, I need God's grace day by day to carry me through. Anybody else? I'm saved by grace, right? We're saved by grace and we live by grace. Maybe grows, Peter says, in the knowledge of the grace of our Lord. How do we do that? By daily practicing renewal and redemption and surrender. By daily coming before Him and going, Lord, I need You to do today what I cannot do for myself. And in Christ, I can be dead to these things. And in Christ, I can be alive to newness and restoration. And then when He goes in that verse 11, practicing grace. Did you, did you see the list He gave? Some's not there's there's not just Greek and Jew and circumcision, uncircumcision, slave and, and free. You know what he's really saying to us there? Paul's not calling all believers to sameness, but he is calling us to oneness. Brother John, you may struggle differently than I do. And just because my struggle is different than yours doesn't make your struggle worse than mine. Do you catch that? We don't have to have the same struggle. We don't have to be at the same pace in our spiritual walk. But what we do have to have is a united spirit to say, brother, I will help you and you will help me and iron will sharpen iron and we will do this life together and we will grow and we will serve and we will honor and we will... We will give testimony to the goodness and the grace of God who met us where I am today and will take me where He wants me to be. And I want to walk along beside you and you walk along beside me as we journey in this thing together. Can we practice living by grace? We're not at all the same level. We're not all at the same stage. But we all have the same Savior. But she has given us all the same identity. Now you gotta, you gotta put off some things, you gotta put on some things. We got time to do this this morning, you got ten minutes left, alright? You listen fast, I'll talk fast, and we'll work through this. Oh, there's the word again, verse 12. Therefore, in light of who you used to be, right? And now that you are putting off these things, therefore, and I love this, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Put that on a t-shirt. I am chosen. I am loved. And I am holy. Wear that t-shirt home one night. And see how your spouse responds to that. Carl walks in one night and goes, check out my new shirt. I'm holy. And she goes, huh, I have a list. Ah, uh, but not with the Father. Not with the Father, because we're already declared His chosen ones. We're already declared loved, and we are already declared holy before Him. And therefore, because of that position, put on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another as 
or forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Well, a couple things you can unpack about that. These distinctive qualities are not describing our current living, but it's, a, it's describing our already declared position. This is who we are. Verse 13 talks about giving grace towards other people and doing it just as God has given grace to you. Do you realize this? According to Sermon on the Mount, according to this passage, the exact same measure that you choose to forgive others will be the same measure that God forgives you. Hold on to that thought. There are many of us in this room today who are going, you know what, I may love them, but I'm not going to forgive them. I've been hurt, I've been harmed, I've been mistreated. I will never forgive that person. And what you're really asking, catch this, what we are asking the Lord to do is, Lord, would you please also not forgive me in this area? Would you continue to hold this against me in the exact same form and fashion and weight to which I've chosen to withhold it from other people. Forgive exactly as Christ has forgiven you. You go, well, that seems a little harsh. Not really, does it? Think about it. How much do you want God to forgive you? Dump the truck. Cover it all, right? Forgive it all. then how am I supposed to forgive people that have harmed me on this earth? Well, verse 14 said, tells you, it says to put on love. Above all, above all. What's the above all? Above all that you've been wronged. Above all those who, who you want to hold against some this against. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Man. First John 4 plays in here, doesn't it? We love because... He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he, has, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he's not seen. And we have this command from him. This is a command. The one who loves God must also love his brother. What's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you go, but preacher, now you're just meddling. Now you're just getting into my business because this is what I, that you don't understand. And thank goodness I truly don't, but I know one who does and forgave us anyway. Last one. Prioritize spiritual formation in your life. Make it a priority. Here's what we catch in verses 16 and 17. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing, ad admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Let's pause right there for a moment. You know why we gather on Sunday mornings to study the word of God together? Because it helps each of us get stronger together. 
because there's something about loving the Word of God that will help us know the Word of God, which will cause us to apply the Word of God. If you go back to verse 16, it says, let the Word of God, encircle the Word, dwell. Let it dwell richly. Which means let it take up residence in your life and let it have value to you. Do you know where some of your Bibles stay? On the dashboard of your car. So you know where it is next Sunday when you come to church. Or it stays on the table next to your couch. But it's never read. Oh, let it dwell richly among you. You know why we sing songs in this place? Why we worship? Why I so appreciate the ministry of our worship team? Because Scripture talks about a collective worship, a collective knowing of God through hymns and songs and spiritual songs. But listen to what it says. You not only sing these to God, but you do what? You sing them to each other. Can I beg you, sing. Some of you are like me. You go, if I sing babies crying, horses rear up. Sing. Randy comes in church today having just had second knee surgery. And I was sitting over here doing the first song and I leaned over and I was looking for him. I went, Where, did he have to leave? And then I look up here on the platform and here the dude is. First Sunday back on the platform, worshiping and leading us in worship. Thank you for the testimony, brother. Let us take the Word of God and have it take residence in our life. And may we encourage each other through worship. And then look how he gathers the whole passage up. This is the bow on the package. Now whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do you know what that verse talks about? Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it for His glory. So if you're going to do certain things for His glory, guess what you have to get rid of? Go back to verses 5, 6, and 7. You're going to have to put off some things. And to do it all for His glory, you're going to have to Put on some things so that everything that you and I do is done for the honor and the glory and the testimony of the famous one. When I was a little boy in Lynchburg, Virginia, my mom, who was a, a deaf interpreter, was teaching us sign language. And I used to get a dime for every new sign I would learn. Should have been a buck. I got a dime for every new sign. We'd sit out on that porch swing on the side porch in our house on Sandusky Drive in Lynchburg, Virginia. And, and mom would, would teach me how to learn these signs. And she'd teach me how to, to, to serve and do different things. But she taught me scripture verses. Now I got a dime for every verse I learned and every sign I learned. So I was, I was an entrepreneur. I was going to make money. Okay. And she taught me this verse of Scripture. Whatsoever you do, you know the rest of the verse, right? Do it with your whole heart. But my mama taught it to me this way. 
Whatsoever you do, do it with your whole heartly. But up, up, right? And I'll be daggone. Some 50 years later, I go to quote that verse and I have to stop and go, okay, it's not with my whole heartly, it's with my whole heart. But she tattooed it on my mind that everything I am and everything I do and everything I say is to give honor and glory to the only one that matters. So, three points of application. You're going to thank goodness he's done, right? Transformed lives only happen by being united to Christ in His death and resurrection. If you want to be different, if you want to be better, if you want to be righteous, if you want to be right, it's only going to happen by being rightly connected to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Number two. The power of God will accomplish what moral corrections cannot. There are a lot of people who will try to live moral lives and fail. But the power of God is sufficient and is able to hold us in His mighty righteous right hand and keep us safe forevermore. And number three, Realizing who we are and who we already are in Christ will motivate us to live out that identity and faithfulness. Who are you today? You're chosen. Isn't that what the text said? Who are you today? You're loved. Who are you today? You're already declared holy because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And because of who He's already said I am today. I'll live in faithfulness. You're going, oh no. He's opened his Bible again. And in the book of Revelation it says this. After this I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation and tribe and people and language which no one could number. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb and they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne. And salvation belongs to the Lamb. Man. New clothes. New clothes. Let's put off what's old, and put on some new stuff today. Sound good to anybody? Father, would you do it for your honor and glory? Would you do it for our good? Would you allow us to find that place of surrender before you where nothing matters more than being fully obedient and living a life of surrender? Father, would you shift our focus and our attention to what we think we have to have and what we think we must need in this world, to You who is all-sufficient and supreme and capable. Father, this week, with certainty, with promise, Satan will come against us 
and He will do all He can to defeat us and to distract us and to cause us to stumble. And Father, some of us will. But would you remind those of us that call you Lord and Savior that your grace is sufficient, that you provide the way of escape, and you offer hope in the times of trouble. So Father, no matter where we go and what we do this week, would you remind us that we are loved by you, we are called by you, and we've been given a new name. If there's people in this room today who don't know you, have not been called by your name yet, would you do it for them today? Help them to cry out to you in a posture of need and desire and dependence on what only you can do. Now help us to love you and love your word this week. In Jesus' name, amen.